Well, hey, you guys. How's it going? Good. It's so great to see you. So great to be with you today. Um, if you don't know me, uh, my name is Kirk. I'm one of the pastors here. Usually I'm singing songs, playing guitar or some other instrument up here. But today um, I get the privilege of introducing to you all one of the not so famous people of the Bible. And speaking of the Bible, does anybody need one? Because our ushers are ready to give you one. Just hold up a hand and they'll get one to you. Two fingers if you would like a pen to take some notes. All right. Uh, today is our third Sunday in our family Sunday series. And we've been learning about people in the Bible who are not so famous. Uh, in week one, Pastor Luke introduced us to Jabez, uh, who stood out of the crowd and he prayed a famous prayer. And then last week, Pastor Josh told us the story of a young king named Josiah. And I hope that you all were listening last week uh, because we are going to do the family or the weekly family quiz. So I have some candy. First service, I think I actually hurt someone with a piece. So I'll try to be more careful <laughs> on this one. But all right, let's start off with this section over here to my left. How old was Josiah when he became king? Go ahead, buddy. Eight. Good job. Nice catch. All right. Number two, King Josiah's father, Amon, was bad. His grandfather was worse. And what was his grandfather's name? From this section here, raise your hand. We have King Mufasa, King Macadamia, King Manasseh, or King Miliwake. Go ahead, bud. Manasseh, good job. That was like a collegiate level question based on the uh, options. All right, over here in this section, what made King Josiah tear his clothes and be humbled so greatly? This one's a little more tough. Anybody over here? Go ahead, buddy. God, that's usually a pretty good safe bet, but not exactly, maybe a little more specifics. Anybody in this section, adults included? All right, go ahead, over here. Close, yeah. So he, they found the book of the law. They found the Torah and they found the law. Um, and he was, um, when he heard that book, he was convicted and he tore, tore his clothes. All right, number four, these guys over here. Out of all the good things that Josiah did in his passion, what were most of them related to? Again, this is a super difficult multi, multiple choice. Helping cats down from trees cleaning the streets of Israel, outlawing the telemarketers, which I wish you'd have done that, or smashing and burning idols. Both of you guys back here. Well done, in unison even. Ready? Here you go, guys. I knew you were ready and you knew the answer. So here you go. Oh, knocking stuff over. All right, and then there's one last bonus question for extra credit Anyone in the room who was mentioned that had a similar circumstance to Josiah, the leader of Israel died, he took over, and now he had to face a giant responsibility in front of him. Do you know? David? You know, the giant makes you think David, but no. Um, his name is really similar to one of the pastors here on staff, but there's four pastors with Bible names, so that doesn't help too much. 
Jill? Huh? Joshua. Well done. All right. Now, I'll try not to pelt you guys with candy, but here it comes. Ready? Way in back. You guys ready? Hands up. It's like, it's like being at the parade, only better and more dangerous. Candy? Ready? They were calling for it back there. Here you go, guys. <laughs> Oh, man, Luke told, oh, no, I have two bags. Good. I was almost out. All right, way in the back. I don't want to hurt your baby. Ready? Excellent. Excellent. Here you go, guys. Guys, candy? All right, I'll save these four for later. Now that we got that out of the way. So this week, I get to tell you all um, about a pretty awesome guy from the Bible. And while he himself doesn't really get a ton of recognition, I'm sure that you all know at least a little bit about the things that he made. And the man that we're talking about today has the name Bezalel. And the guy, this guy, Bezalel, has a super cool story because he was chosen by God to build the tabernacle and everything in it, including the Ark of the Covenant, now, before we get too far into Bezalel's story, I need to set the stage for all of you. And our story takes place in the book of Exodus. The Israelites were in the wilderness for about a year or two after leaving Egypt. And they'd been wandering in the desert, and they had arrived at Mount Sinai. One day, while Moses was up on the mountain talking to God, God told Moses to build a dwelling place for him. God wanted his people to have a physical place where they could see and know that Yahweh was with them. He also wanted them to have a place where they could worship him and offer him sacrifices. And this place became known as the tabernacle or the tent of meeting. And it was the most holy and sacred place to the Israelites because God was literally in there. God told Moses exactly who he wanted to be the boss of the construction of this project for this sacred, set-apart place. And that was our guy today, Bezalel. Let's look at what God had to say about Bezalel in Exodus chapter 31. He said to Moses, Look, I have specifically chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, grandson of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the Spirit of God giving him great wisdom, ability, and expertise in all kinds of crafts. He is a master craftsman, an expert in working with gold and silver and bronze. He is skilled in engraving and mounting gemstones and carving wood. He is a master at every craft. You know, when Luke asked me uh, to teach you guys about Betzalel, I was really excited. Um, some of you might know this about me, and some of you, uh, I'm sure you don't. Uh, but before I was a pastor, I was actually a carpenter. Um, and so I built stuff for my job. Uh, nothing made of gold ever, unfortunately. But mostly homes for people. Um, and I was considered to be a craftsman because I used my hands um, and my set of skills to build the structure that became a home for someone. 
And in that way, I'm a little bit like Bezalel, or I'm probably actually more like one of the people who Bezalel was able to boss around and tell what to do when they were building the tabernacle. Um, but what did Bezalel do? He, he led a group of gifted craftsmen and women in building the tabernacle. And this tabernacle was not just some simple little tent. It was built with the most valuable materials and with a very specific and ornate design. It was basically a portable temple that was designed to be able to be set up and tore down because the Israelites were moving constantly when they were in the wilderness. And even though they needed it to be easy to move, Bezalel and his crew spared no expense in building it. And here's what Exodus 25 tells us about the materials that they use for the construction. The Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to bring me their sacred offerings, accept the contributions from all whose hearts are moved to offer them. Here's a list of the sacred offerings you may accept from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen and goat hair for cloth, tanned ram skins, and fine goatskin leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil and the fragrant incense, onyx stones, and other gemstones to be set in the ephod and the priest's chest piece. Now, that's a lot of valuable stuff, right? There's gold, silver, bronze, uh, and back then, red, blue, and purple threads and linen were actually really only used by the richest of the rich people. And the amount of fine leather that was needed to build a tent of this size would really have costed a lot. And then there were the fine spices, there was the incense, the onyx stones, and all of those gemstones. It's, it's weird to think that a group of people who were wandering in the wilderness would, would have had all of this stuff with them right? Like just kind of carry it in in their backs. But they did. Uh, and I'll tell you how. Who here in the room remembers the Exodus story at all? The Israelites leaving Egypt. Pretty, pretty much almost every person in the room if you've, if you've been to Sunday school. Um, but I do have a bonus question uh, and a surprise for a kid who can answer it for me. Could you name one plague from the Exodus story, one of the 10 plagues. Evelyn? Frogs. Good job. Excellent. Do you like watermelon sour patch kids? I'm really bribing the kids this one, this week. There you go, dear. Okay. So there were plagues. And most of us know that part of the story, um, or we know the part of the story which one of the plagues is the Passover story. Those are all really important parts of the story. Um, but a lot of us um, kind of skip over uh, right before they leave at the end when we're reading it. Uh, so check this out because it's super important and really interesting. Uh, from Exodus 12, it says, The Israelites took their bread dough before the yeast was added. They wrapped their kneading boards in their cloaks and carried them on their shoulders. And the people of Israel did as Moses had instructed. They asked the Egyptians for clothing and articles of silver and gold. And the Lord caused the Egyptians to look favorably on the Israelites, and they gave the Israelites whatever they asked for. So they stripped the Egyptians of their wealth. It's pretty fascinating, right? And this is how we know 
that the Israelites had everything they needed to build all of this amazing stuff. They collected a fortune when they left Egypt. Exodus 38 tells us exactly how much gold, silver, and bronze were used to collect the project. And it's pretty crazy. Can we see that, um, that note up there? There was 2,193 pounds of gold, which is $61,442,697 as of Wednesday, the value of gold. <laughs> and 7,545 pounds of silver, almost $2.5 million. 5,310 pounds of bronze, about $12,500. And so if you just put those elements together, the precious metals from building the tabernacle, that's almost $64 million, um, which is pretty, pretty fascinating. And I want to show you guys how this tabernacle looks. And um, I actually found uh, a video to show you, but I highly recommend... Uh, reading Exodus 36 to 40, because it talks about all of the elements of the tabernacle, everything in it, every bit had a really precise and important purpose. And it's really neat to read, but it comes alive uh, when we see it in a video. So uh, I just wanted you to see this, this video. Could we roll that? Each branch in the middle of the shaft had almond blossoms, 
the menorah served a most practical purpose. It was the only source of light in the tent, an eternal light that was never to go out. Also in the tent stood a wooden table covered with gold. On it was to always remain the bread of the presence. The bread of the presence symbolizes God's desire to be with his people. Incense was to burn continuously on the altar. God instructed the priests to replenish the incense every evening and morning. A curtain separated the holy place from the holy of holies. The menorah, the altar of incense, and the bread of the presence were all in the holy place, but outside this veil. Like the curtains covering the tent of meeting, this veil was blue, purple, and scarlet, with cherubim, a kind of angel. Beyond the veil at the far end of the tabernacle was the ark. The ark was a wooden box covered with gold. It was nearly four feet long. Its width and height were about two feet, three inches. Like the altar, the ark had rings and poles so the Israelites could carry it as they traveled. Within the ark were the two stone tablets on which God had written the Ten Commandments. Later, it contained a sample of manna and the rod that bloomed to reinforce Aaron's leadership. The mercy seat was the ark's lid and features prominently on Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement. At each end stood a cherub facing the other with its wings outspread. This cover was made of solid gold. The priest would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on this mercy seat, symbolizing that the nation's sins were covered for another year. While only the high priest would see it, the mercy seat was the key symbol of atonement that God would forgive his people. Though daily sacrifices on the altar were necessary for payment of sin, it was only through the mercy seat on the day of atonement that the stain of sin was washed away. While priests had to make repeated sacrifices, one man offered a sacrifice to atone for sin once and for all. When Jesus, the Messiah, died, he sprinkled his own blood before God, securing atonement forever for all who would trust in him. Jesus cleanses us, makes us pure, and enables us to rightly approach the Lord. He tore the veil that kept distance between Israel and the Lord. God dwelled among the Israelites through a tent. Now, he dwells within his people through the Spirit. I think it was pretty awesome, right? Super cool. It's just so neat to see it pictured, and I'm sure they didn't 100% nail it exactly, but um, it really is a great representation of what the, the people of Israel were taking with them um, and the dwelling place of the God, of, of their God and our God. And this week, a good friend of mine, Pastor Jake, loaned me a model of some of those parts from the tabernacle, and I need a volunteer to help me put those things on display as they were arranged in the form of a game show. Anybody 10 and under? Buddy, you want to try? Come on up. Let's give him a hand. What's your name, sir? Aiden. Aiden, nice to meet you. All right, help me wheel this thing out. 
We'll take it out here so everybody can see you. There we go. Let's hit the brakes so we don't fall down the stairs. Perfect. And I, I didn't get a goat skin to cover this. It's just fabric. But, but oop, almost dropped it. Ark of the Covenant. Okay. Oh, wait, that's the table. Okay, so here's all the elements that we talked about, right, or that we saw in the video. This is the table that had the bread of the presence or the showbread. This is the Ark of the Covenant. Look, the Ten Commandments are in there, and the manna, and Aaron's rod. Okay, and this is the menorah. This is the bronze laver where they wash their hands. This is the table for the incense, and this is the altar where they did the sacrifices. So if you look up here, see the picture? All right, so right here we have the holy place that's inside the tent where all that little stuff goes. And then here's the holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant goes. And then we have the altar and the laver. You think you can do it in less than one minute, get it all in the right spot? What do you think? Hold on, don't go yet. All right, you guys ready? Let's cheer him on, come on. Here you go, buddy. Go ahead. No, nope. That goes in the yard out here. Perfect. Okay. And then here, careful, it's two pieces. And it's real bronze. I don't know, maybe it isn't. Perfect. All right, what's next? The menorah. You can look up at the picture. Too. Oh, no, you can't. Never mind. Oh, now you can. And I will allow it. Excellent. You want to take the incense table? Do you know where that went? Right in front of the door to the, to the, yeah, if you look up there, it's right there, incense. Right outside the Holy of Holies. Nope. Yep. Hey. All right. Now, careful, the showbread might fall off. Where does that go? The table. You have eight seconds left. Where does the Ark of the Covenant go? All right. Excellent work, Aiden. Are you, are you a chocolate candy guy or a fruity candy guy? Chocolate. All right, my favorite then, Charleston Chews. Enjoy. Thank you, Aiden. Roll this back quick. Isn't this thing cool? It actually literally has like the Ten Commandments, Aaron's rod, and some manna. Pretty neat. So if you ever want to borrow it, Pastor Jake will be glad to let you use it. Okay, so as you all can really see, the tabernacle was super important to God, and it was super important to his people. It was very significant. But why is Bezalel significant, and how does his story serve God's story? One interesting side note about Bezalel is the meaning of his name. Uh, in, his, in Hebrew, his name means in the shadow of God. Oftentimes in scripture, God's shadow is considered a place of protection. So you could say that his name meant in the protection of God. And that is a way cooler meaning than the name Jabez, right? Does anybody remember Jabez's name, what that meant? To cause pain, Yep. Bezalel, our guy, was really given an awesome name. In scripture, the names that are given to people, they had purpose and they had meaning. And it seems that Bezalel really hit the jackpot. 
And really what a cool foreshadowing that God was with Bezalel watching over him because he knew the plans that he had for him. And one other thing that is really interesting about Bezalel's story is that scripture says he was filled with the spirit of God. Let's look at what Moses said to the people about Bezalel after God told Moses about him. Then Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and has filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, with all kinds of skills, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of artistic crafts. This is a distinction that is made with only a handful of people in the Old Testament. And Bezalel is actually the second person in scripture to be filled with the spirit of God. The first person was Joseph. Everybody remembers to some degree the Joseph story, right? Um, Young people, is there anybody here in the room who can tell me one awesome detail about Joseph or his life? Anybody? Way in the back. What's that? I couldn't hear you. Uh, He was really close to the king of Egypt for a while. He basically ran um, Egypt for the Pharaoh. I'll give it to you. You want a box of milk duds for that? One other cool thing about Joseph was he had that super cool Technicolor dream coat. And also he was gifted by the spirit of God to be able to interpret dreams. And if I can get back up to my notes, there's some scripture we're going to read about it. Um, Because we know that when uh, Joseph uh, had the opportunity, he was able to interpret the Pharaoh's dream. And the Pharaoh said, can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the spirit of God? And then after our not-so-famous guy, Bezalel, who was number two, there was Joshua. And we know him. He's the one who led Israel into the promised land after Moses. And then after that, there was Samson, the dude with long hair, who was super strong. And then there were some other not-so-famous people that you might not know, like Othniel, Gideon, uh, Jephthah. And then there were the prophets who spoke on God's behalf to the people of Israel. Now, in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God or or the breath of God was only given to specific people at specific times for specific purposes or specific reasons. And for our guy Bezalel, the divine presence and power of God was working in him and through him to create the tabernacle. It was a masterpiece that would bring glory and honor and reverence to God. The supernatural wisdom of God was actually working in Bezalel to lead many people who worked on this masterpiece. And Bezalel, he did all of this, not by his own power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit working in him. And that made Bezalel really special because there were not so many people that were given that privilege back then. But now, for all of you and for me, we all have been filled with that same spirit of God, just like Bezalel was. Isn't that crazy? If we've been born again, 
We have been given the supernatural power of God to do great things. Things that we could never accomplish on our own. The Holy Spirit is alive in us. And we have the opportunity to join with God to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. Such an awesome opportunity, such an awesome responsibility. Let me explain how Jesus made this possible when he died on the cross. It all starts with the tabernacle. So the place where the Ark of the Covenant was stored was called the Holy of Holies. And this is where the full presence of God was. And only the high priest could go in there one day a year. And they mentioned this in that video that we just watched. Once a year, on the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur, the high priest would have to take a ceremonial bath and get super clean, and then he would put on a special white linen robe, and then he would go into the Holy of Holies, and he would sprinkle blood from a spotless lamb on top of the Ark of the Covenant, which was known as the mercy seat. And this would be the once-per-year sacrifice that would wash the sins of all the people clean. Do you guys see the, the parallel of the Jesus story in that, in the, in the cross? And this is why Jesus is called the Lamb of God. So on the Day of Atonement, it was the only time that anyone was allowed to enter the Holy of Holies, where God was fully present. And if anyone ever entered there for any other reason, they would immediately drop dead. And this is how separated God's people were from him. The veil that closed off that Holy of Holies with the two cherubim on it could not move. God's people were not allowed to be in his presence. But when Jesus died on the cross, he became the once and for all atonement or payment for our sins. God's people were no longer separated from him. On that day that Jesus died, and actually the very moment that Jesus died, the veil of the Holy of Holies in the temple at that time was torn in two. And this was both literally and symbolically proven that Jesus had made a way for us to be in the full presence of God. Let's look at the book of Matthew at the end of, of Jesus' time on the cross, when he had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. At that moment, Jesus paid our debt. He washed away our sin. It was the last day of atonement that God's people ever needed. Praise God for that, amen? So now, if we believe and we follow Jesus, we have the Spirit of God alive in us. And we ourselves are a bunch of tabernacles running around. And we take the presence of God everywhere that we go. Here are some scriptures that talk about it. 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? 2 Corinthians 6, 16 says, For we are a temple, we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and, they shall, or, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Ezekiel 36, 27 
It says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. So now just of us, are all of us just like Bezalel have been filled with the Holy Spirit. We've been filled with the Spirit of God and we can and we can do great and amazing things when we choose to do them for the kingdom of God. And that's the key, right? We need to be doing everything for God's glory and not ours. And that's how we can work with God to bring about the kingdom of heaven here on earth. And it's so cool that Bezalel was given such an important job and he was given such an important role in God's amazing story. But he really was just a normal human being, just like anyone else. What set him apart is that he worked hard and he got really good at working with gold and silver and bronze and carving wood. And he got good at leadership. And because of his faithfulness, God chose to elevate his calling to something great. And the same goes for every single one of us here today. God will always be faithful in blessing our faithfulness. Jesus said that whoever is faithful with little will be faithful with much. In other words, if we're, if we're working hard and using the gifts or the skills that God has given us, he will be faithful to give us opportunities to work alongside him and the things that he is accomplishing here on this earth. I realize that many of us sitting in this room or upstairs in the loft or from somewhere on the internet um, might be sitting here thinking, uh, do I really have any special gifts or talents? And the answer to that question, absolutely without a doubt, is yes. God has created all of us in a unique way with certain skills and interests, and we can use those gifts to serve the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 12 says that there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone is the same God at work. We all have been given gifts and skills and talents, and we can use our talents for our kingdom or for God's kingdom. It is important to know that the unique set of skills and interests that, that we each have can be used to have a great impact in the world around us. You don't have to be great at building sacred tents full of gold uh, for your skills and your passions to be useful to God. All you have to do is offer what you do have to him, and he will use it. He may use it for something great. I'm talking to all of you here in the room right now, but especially you young people, you have to know this, that every single one of you has a divine purpose and calling for your life. And don't think for a minute that you don't have the potential to do great and mighty things for God's kingdom. You can change the world. And that is quite literally what God's people are called to do. We're called to bring heaven to earth. And you can accomplish that by partnering with God in the things that you're good at. Now I want to take a moment to address all of you adults here in this room or upstairs or online. Some of you are parents. Some are grandparents. Some of you don't have children of your own. But we all have some young people in our life who look up to us. And this is what I want you to know. It's super important. 
Don't ever discount the importance of a simple word of blessing to a young person. You could, in one sentence, say something that has the power to change the course of their life. If you see a child or a teenager using their gifts for the kingdom, please make sure that you praise them for it and absolutely remind them that they will do great and mighty things for the kingdom of God. Bezalel found out what his gift was, and he worked hard to become the best craftsman that he could, and eventually God gave him a huge responsibility uh, in building this tabernacle. And remember what God said to Moses when he told him about Bezalel? He said that Bezalel was a master craftsman. He was an expert in working with silver and gold and bronze. He, is, he was skilled in engraving and mounting gemstones and in carving wood, and he was a master at every craft. So Bezalel had likely been honing his skills or his gifts that God gave him for his whole life leading up to this. And just at the right time, God chose him to do a great and mighty work. And God gave Bezalel supernatural power to do that work perfectly. On his own, I'm sure that Bezalel was able to create some pretty neat stuff. But with the power of the Holy Spirit, he was able to create a dwelling place for God himself. A place of worship that stayed with the people of Israel for about 400 years. And he built a tent that was so awesome and inspiring that we are still talking about it more than 3,000 years later today. Let's follow Bezalel's example, church. Let's walk in truth and know that God desires for us to partner with him and to use our gifts for his kingdom and his glory. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you guys. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much uh, for just the abundance uh, of truth uh, in Bezalel's story. I thank you that, God, you are so faithful uh, and you want to bless us and you want to partner with us. Uh, and I thank you that you've given us that opportunity to partner with you. Lord, I pray that um, every soul here today, every soul listening, Lord, that they would see and know what you have for them, uh, that they would really see and know your calling for their life, Lord, and that they would heed that calling, that they would work hard and do everything as for you and not for man, that their gifts would be put to, uh, to do a great and mighty work here on earth, Lord. And I pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in our hearts, in our lives, through our gifts, just as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you, you guys. If anybody needs prayer, Pastor John is over here in the corner, uh, and he will be happy to pray with you. Have a great day. Love you guys.